Well, you can tell we're a little out of uniform today, right? <laughs> Had somebody run into me in the grocery store not long ago, and this happens a lot. They're like, I didn't recognize you, Pastor. You didn't have your robe on. I don't wear it everywhere. It's <laughs> just here at the church. But uh, so anyway, so this is, you know, we're, we're celebrating the, the end of this series that we're in, which is called Raised to Life. And, and we've been talking about a couple of weeks the importance of what it means to understand what baptism is all about and, and that baptism is the mark of Christianity in our lives. It is a, an outward part of an inward change of what Christ is doing in us. And these shirts that we're wearing today, many of your staff are, are wearing this, and, and, and those who are participating today, if you're going to remember your baptism or if you're going to be baptized for the first time today, you'll get one of these shirts so that you can proudly wear it in your community. And it says a couple of things. It, it says raised to life, but it also says St. Paul United Methodist Church. So when you're wearing this into the public venue, when people ask you, well, what does it mean by to be raised to life? We're trying to equip you with those words. That, that you are a baptized Christian, that you are remembered by God, that you are claimed as a disciple, as a child of Jesus Christ. And that is so important. So um, we'll hear a little bit more about what today's um, uh, time will be like as we gather at the beach and as we come together uh, and fill you in on some uh, last-minute details as we get ready for our gathering at 6 p.m. But, you know, uh, I've been talking about some different kinds of facets about uh, belonging and being and, and um, you know, making sure that we know that we are a part of God's plan. But what it, what it also has done is, is it's revealed to me a very important truth. If you think about it, there are billions of people who live on the planet Earth. And I don't know what the latest count is, but there are billions of people, which means that, that we are a world that is filled with humanity all over the globe. And yet the greatest challenge that billions of people have who live here on the planet Earth is that most people feel lonely. In fact, you would think that in a world filled with billions of people that somebody would have figured out how to make sure that others don't feel loneliness in their lives. Some of the great writings have happened all throughout history uh, on those subjects. You know, Plato wrote the Republic, Augustine, who wrote the, the City of God, um, and, and, and a single most remembered American speech of the 20th century talked about coming together as one people, sitting down at a table, enjoying a meal, holding hands, and singing a song together so that there would not be any loneliness. And Dr. Martin Luther King, when he said those words, it wasn't just his vision, he was proclaiming God's vision. God's vision of what this earth, what the world is to be. And we need to be reminded that, that God's vision, God's desire is to fulfill the dream that every person knows. You belong. You are a part of God's kingdom's purpose. You are a part of God's life. I believe each one of us knows the, the profound truth. At some point in our life, we know what it means to be lonely at times. I read an article recently uh, of, a, of a woman who wrote and she said these words. She said, this loneliness saddens me. How did it happen that I could be 42 years old and not have enough friends? Folks, this is the reality of the world. And this is some of the complexity that we deal with. In fact, Mother Teresa said that loneliness is the modern day leprosy. And she said, but the problem with it is none of us wants to admit that we're lepers. Loneliness, loneliness, a sense of belonging. Who do we belong to and why? And do we know that we belong? That's so important for us to understand today 
as we finish this series on Raised to Life. Edward Hollowell, who is a, uh, a nationally renowned Harvard um, a person of, uh, he does a lot of studies in, in psychological behavior and, and all. He writes that for most people that the two most powerful experiences that most people have in life is achieving and connecting. He says connecting is whenever we feel like we want to reach out and have a love of our life. We want to fall in love. We want to make friends. We want to uh, have emotions that, that, that fill us up with euphoria. Release the endorphins, he would say, the, to know that, that we are part of something and that when we are sick, that there are people who will care for us. And whenever we are at those places of life, whenever we're just feeling lonely, that we know beyond that loneliness, something greater is there. He also says that the second piece, in addition to connecting, is achieving. And achieving is is an, an is a object of our life, and that's where we want to be successful. We see a goal. We want to reach the goal. We work hard all of our life to achieve something, to pursue career success, or to realize that we have won something. But here's what Hallowell says. Hallowell says that in our nation, we are great achievers. We strive all day long. We know what it takes to be an achiever. But when it comes to connecting, he says, we're totally bankrupt. We have no clue as to what it means to truly be in relationships and that we are impoverished when it comes to those counts. That's why we yearn to attach and to connect, to love and to be loved. Those are the, the two most pronounced innate needs that human beings have, to love and to be loved. It's the fiercest longing of the soul. It's like whenever we see a, a child who is sitting on the floor and we walk in the room and that child raises her pudgy little arms with a big smile on her face, wanting us to pick her up. And when we pick her up and we hold on to her, tell me that doesn't warm your heart. It actually does. It does that. It, it's, it's like from womb to tomb, we see this need of connecting. We see this need to belong, to be a part of something. So that's the, the womb part. On the other side, the tomb part. You know, we, we see before we die, we still have that longing, that desire to belong to something. A friend of mine's uh, widowed dad, or he's a widower, and at 85 years old, he's a retired engineer. He met a woman in church. She's 81. She's a retired school teacher. She's never been married. He, he proposes to her. She accepts. And, and folks, the last time she ever probably thought about getting married was in the Eisenhower days. For some of you that have been around a while, you can add that up. It's a long time ago. She never thought about it. So at 81, never married before, at 81, she's beginning her life of feeling like she's belonging to somebody. And just before the end of her life, she is experiencing what it means to be in a deep relationship. As frustrating as, as people can be, it's, it's hard to find a good substitute of belonging, of relationships, of knowing. A good friend of mine, he's from the north, and whenever he traveled down here for the first time, um, he's from Michigan, and they, he didn't know what grits were. And he came into a restaurant, and he asked the waitress, he said, tell me, what is a grit? And she looked at him in her own southern way. She said, honey, it's not singular. It's not a grit. We call them grits because grits are community. They don't stand alone. You can't eat one grit. It's more grits. It's lots of grits. And, and he was just blown away about that. Every grit on the mainland is a part of a community. Every grit is, is not single. They're a package deal. 
You can call it a clan, you can call it a tribe, you can call it a network, you can call it family. Jane Howard, who's a Christian writer, she says, whatever you call it, whoever you are, you need one. You need a clan, you need a family, you need a tribe, you need commitment. It's not good for any of us to ever be alone. And we realize that Dallas Willard, a great theologian, writes, the natural condition of life for human beings is reciprocal rootedness in others. We show reciprocity because we know how important community is, because we know how important it is to belong to something, that we don't just take it from others, but we give it back. And that's how we make sure that nobody ever feels like they're alone. That's why belonging is so important. And when you belong as a Christian, it's that sense of something and knowing that something matters, something beyond ourselves, that in connection, it goes beyond you and me, that we are connected with our Creator. We are connected with the God who developed what relationships are. We are connected through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we realize the importance of what that relationship is. And there's a reason for this. In the Hebrew language, they, they call the word shalom. Shalom means the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. Shalom webs us together in justice, fulfillment, and in delight. So try to imagine what, what the old priests and prophets would tell us today. What they wrote in the scriptures as you read the, the major and the minor prophets. What is it that they say about shalom? What is it that, that transcends not just in the past of history, but what is it that comes to today in those words? In a world of shalom where, where shalom prevails, all marriages succeed and all children are safe. Those who have too much in a world of shalom give to those who don't have enough. In shalom in that community, corporate executives in boardrooms, they don't, they don't work to undermine each other. In fact, when they talk behind the back of someone who is in their organization, it's because they're giving a compliment. In a world of shalom, the tabloids are filled with accounts of courage and moral beauty. Talk shows feature moms and daughters coming together in relationships and life that matter. And dads and sons building a life of humility and trust and courage. In a life of shalom, we are not bullied by social media and things that come out in the news today. In a world of shalom, disagreements would be settled with grace. Disagreements, if I disagree with you, if you disagree with me, we settle it with grace and civility. There would be lawyers in a world of shalom, but they'd have a different job, so to speak. They'd, they'd deliver pizzas, okay? And those pizzas would be non-fat, and they would have no cholesterol in them, and they would make a huge contribution back to the world. Doors would no longer have locks. Cars would not have car alarms. In a world of shalom, schools would no longer need police resource officers. They would no longer need hall monitors to walk to make sure that something dastardly could happen in the hallways of the schools. In a world of shalom, our teachers and administrators and plant operators and students would all work together with total respect for one another. In a world of shalom, churches would never split. People would be, either, would be neither bored nor hurried. No father again would ever say in a community of shalom, I'm just too busy for you, son. 
I don't have time for you, my daughter, at this moment. Our national sleep deficit would be paid off. We would no longer be a nation that is fatigued because we're constantly doing something. Dunkin' Donuts in a world of shalom would only sell decaf coffee. I mean, we see the great things that would come from that. Divorce courts and battered women's shelters would be closed down. And we would begin to see that every time one human being touched another, it would be to express encouragement, affection, and delight. In a world of shalom, no one would ever be lonely. No one would ever be afraid. People of different races would join hands. They would honor uh, and be enriched by their differences and united in their common humanity. In a world of shalom, community would prevail. We would all belong. And we would know that in the center of that kind of shalom community dwells the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the hub of the wheel of life. He is the center. And of that, we see a glimpse of what God intended humanity to be and see the role in which we need to take. Belonging is central. It's central to our, to our Christian faith. And baptism is the link that connects us to, to God's divine grace, and it marks us as God's chosen. It says that God created us in his own image, and that God chooses us, God includes us, and God looks at us and says, you are good, and God moves through us. Peter writes this in his first letter. He says, but you are the ones chosen by God. We need to remember that. We are chosen by God. And what does that mean to be chosen by God? God chooses to love us. God chooses to give us his grace. And none of us in this room or even in this whole world, none of us deserves the grace of God. But God chooses. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't buy it. We can't climb high enough on a corporate ladder. We can't be good enough. God chooses to give us his grace. Peter says we are chosen for the high calling of priestly work, which means that we are not called to be pewjourners. We are called to do the priestly work of Christ in the world, that churches are not buildings to be made that people gather once or twice a week to come in and say, I've honored my God through my faith, but that every day we are living in a priestly role, that we are removing injustices, that we are loving mercy, that we are bringing love and kindness to a world that doesn't understand what that is and that we are priestly in those roles. We are chosen to be a holy people. Notice it doesn't say a perfect people. When you're a Christian, you're not a perfect person. We wouldn't need a savior if we were perfect, would we? But because Christ is righteous, Christ, God, Jesus in the flesh is perfect. It is out of his righteousness alone that we are made good, that we are made to love. God's instruments to do his work, to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference that he made for you. Are we doing that? 
Are you telling people the difference that, that God has made in your life? Are you telling them about your church? Are you telling them about what happens in your community of faith? Are you telling them on the golf courses or in the grocery stores or in your classrooms or wherever you find yourself? Are you being a beacon of light for Christ in the world? Or do you find yourself just kind of slipping into the role that everybody else is? You know, I said something last week that I'm going to repeat. When we baptize somebody, we mark the cross on their forehead with water as a symbol of sealing the Holy Spirit in their life. And I said to you, would there be fewer people in the church today if instead of sealing the Spirit with water, that I used a purple Sharpie instead? That you would have to wear a purple cross on your forehead. Would the church be any smaller today? If that were the case, commitment, others, telling others night and day the difference made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Did you catch that? From rejected to accepted. We are rejected in the world. We are accepted by God. These words of Peter are so profound, so truthful, and it rings clearly and loudly the, in, the significance of belonging to the Christian community. When we become part of the Christian community, we also move forward in the foundations of the life and of, and, and of the death and of the life to come in Jesus Christ. And that's why these questions are so important whenever we baptize somebody, whenever we remember our baptisms, whenever we're confirming people into the church. These questions are so important. And we need to be reminded of these because these help us to see that we belong. Here's the first question. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin? What that means is, do you understand that there is good and there's evil? And God wants us to be good. God wants us not just to be good, God wants us to be holy. And with that, we understand that choices come. And here's the second question that we ask from that side. Do you freely accept the power that God gives you? Folks, that's called free will. God is not some sort of puppet maker that chooses in advance who's going to, to be saved and who's going to be condemned to hell. We have been given free will, which means God has given us a gift. And that gift is that we are to choose. We're to choose the direction that we go. God never stops loving us. God's grace never stops showering us. But we have a choice. Do we want that? Will we walk in the light or will we choose to remain in the dark? Do we understand that God gives us the power to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in all forms that they present themselves? Here's the third question. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Put your whole trust in his grace in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. Do we understand what it means? You know, sometimes we have folks that we baptize who don't understand. And folks, that is the perfect image of the body of Christ. 
the community of believers. And what that says is that when we baptize a baby or when we baptize a special needs person who can't understand or doesn't really understand or a child who's not really at that point, what it does is it holds us accountable that we say to that person, you belong. And you're a part of my family. You're a part of God's family. And I, along with every person in this room, not just our pastor, but all of us, will be there for you to help raise you and to help encourage you along your faith journey. But to choose, to choose to belong is so powerful. 